you know, we, we always get frustrated as, as a performance coach because we know that results comes from just relentlessly nailing the basics again and again and again and not getting bored with it. Um, but the only stuff that, that gets the exposure is the random stuff quite often. So, um, and, and people very quickly forget that it's, you know, it's a small piece of a very big puzzle. Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is framed around a good old-fashioned Twitter debate, and it happened because Simon had gone on a training camp with the rugby team that he's working with, that we talk about here today. And they had sessions with military. And it was a popular strength and conditioning coach that was given a, an opinion on that kind of activity and the risk versus reward uh, that comes from that. And it led to a big debate. So we got Simon, although it was a couple of weeks ago now that debate took place on Twitter, we got Simon on to have a little chat around why they made that decision um, at AG Rugby and the positives and negatives of that kind of training and how they actually went about mitigating some of the risks that are often used to uh, dissuade people from from doing that kind of thing. So a really interesting debate that ensued, um, which obviously led to this podcast. So a really interesting episode and slightly different coming up with Simon. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Fusion Sport. Fusion Sport is a global leader in human performance solutions for elite sport, military, and workplace health. Fusion Sport's data management and analytics platform, Smarterbase, is designed to provide elite human performance organizations with a one-stop shop solution for the holistic management of their teams. Highly configurable and capable of allowing the integration of other systems and wearables into its operations, Smarterbase enables organizations to capture, manage, analyze, report, and share data across the whole organization. When you adopt the Smarterbase human performance platform, you're choosing more than just a product, you're choosing a technology partner and a team of consultants who have worked with some of the world's most elite performance organizations. Smarterbase is trusted by the world's best in human performance, including the National Basketball Association, the NBA, the LA Lakers, US Special Operations Command, Australian Institute of Sport and US Soccer. Visit fusionsport.com forward slash Smarterbase to learn more about how Smarterbase can help turn your data into a winning advantage. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. So without further ado, over to the episode with Simon Thomas. Simon Thomas, welcome back to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's been a long time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a few years now, but so I've stayed connected over the years and, and listening, and so it's good to be back. No, thank you for thank you for making time, although it sounds like you've got lots of time with the snow day to, uh, yeah. to have a chat, which is good. Plenty Would of time to... today. Absolutely. The rare snow day where you are. Yeah, they've everybody told me it's always warm in Texas, but uh, so I think just before I got here last year, they had a snowstorm and everyone was hoping it wouldn't come again this year, but it has, so training's cancelled today and we're inside and the snow's outside and the roads are closed because they don't know how to fix them in, uh, in Texas like they do in sounds some of the like, more... Sounds like the UK. Everything yeah. Into, everything turns to chaos with an inch of snow. Yeah, I think they know how to handle it better in some of the other states and cities, but Texas gets a bit freaked out, so... 
uh, it's good just to, to tuck away and then hopefully we can kick off this weekend and uh, and there's not too much snow around and we can just get the games going. Absolutely. Would you be able to give us a bit of an update? Since like, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty has happened in the last five years, but career, career update? Yeah, it's been it's been a great change. I was with uh, sort of just kicking into taking over the Crusader program when when we'd last talked, and uh, I think I just we just finished our our first season where I had been able to to lead that program, and so really enjoyed um, sort of three three more years with them since since that point with um, with our our coaching group and trying to grow that group as much as possible. And yeah, you know, that was that was a place that was sort of dear dear to my heart. I grew up watching that team, and so managed to be able to. To contribute to a little bit of success um, on field over those those four years, and I had just re-signed on for for two more years actually, and then uh, and then opportunity came up to come over here to Austin, Texas, and in, in the MLR and its sort of fourth season of existence, and help out uh, a coach a coach that I knew who was transitioning from Japan across to the US, and and kind of grow something new, build something new, and the challenge was um, exciting to come in come and sort of sow, sow some seeds and water them and, and try to help grow something special from, from the ground up, really, rather than try to find uh, new ways to polish the diamond that was already shining pretty brightly with a whole bunch of All Blacks. And so it was a great way to get out of my comfort zone and come and try something new and, and, and just get an adventure being over in, in the US and have access to so many other other sports to knock on the door of and, and different events and places to go and see. So... Um, it's been a, it's been an interesting transition, but instead I really enjoyed enjoyed those years with the Crusaders and and what we were able to do with with the group coming through there and um, and and left a little bit earlier than planned, but um, but for good reason when I weighed all all of the things up, there's just a lot of opportunity up here to to try something new and and really expand out and and learn and grow. Has the MLR kind of settled down? Obviously, like you say, four years. It settled down in terms of the. The structure and the financial side, because I'm sure there was a lot of critics three or four years ago when it kicked off. Has that seemed to settle now, and it's in for a bit of a flow? Seems to be. I think growing, going into into season five, uh, yes, it, it's you sort of get to a bit more of a stable point usually, and and it feels it feels like it's hit some stability rather than, than the instability. Even through the challenges of of COVID, really the you know, teams aren't dropping left, right and centre and being sold off and changing hands and, you know, teams are actually entering the competition rather than leaving it. So Dallas are coming in this year. I think there's two more teams coming in next year. So it's growing from from 12 to 13 to 15. So, you know, they've got some targets that they want to reach as a competition, but it's also, it's not trying to grow too fast too soon where it can kind of burn out and blow out. So uh, it's definitely still, um, still at, at ground level. You say the the players' salaries are modest, and and not all, and teams don't don't all have their own facilities, and everybody's sort of borrowing soccer turf stadiums to play games at, and trying to fill those out before they build their own. Apart from one of the teams at Houston that have built their own sort of stadiums, so oh, wow. um, so it's it's starting to come. Teams are starting to enter some some long term sort of ten year partnerships with different universities and building grounds that will be theirs that they'll play at, and and some commercial sponsors are starting to come on board and. And you're starting to get a little bit more broadcast. I mean, everything in professional sports driven by broadcast deals. So um, it's it's following the pathway that the MLS, the soccer, sort of followed over here. But they're into you know the twenty something years of that competition now, and they're just starting to to turn a profit and hit their straps. So um, so it's been it's been really interesting. It feels like it's stable and 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 ready to launch, and it's certainly gathering gathering a few more eyeballs in the US aiming to host the Rugby World Cup um, and I think it's 2031 potentially that they're looking to host it so you kind of got nine or ten years to build the rugby infrastructure and, and the fan base to, to make that a real success so um, yeah there's a lot of things happening so own, owners are a little bit more stable and some some are putting more into the infrastructure of their clubs than others but those that are really building professional programs are leading the way and, and others are just really having to follow suit um, to make sure that they deliver um, a good product on the field for the fans. Anyone that does any searching of you guys as, as AG Rugby online may be confused with the name. I was very confused. It sounds like you get the question a lot. Explain to us the name. It does. Every time we go through an airport, people ask us either what's a Gilgroni or, or what's AG Rugby? And if we say 
it's easy to say we're a rugby team and, and then explain the game, but as soon as people ask you what's a Gilgrony, um, we go down the rabbit hole of explaining. But essentially, it's our our owner, our owner um, Gilly Adam Gilchrist. He's an Australian who he uh, he owns F45 globally, and uh, but he also owns a couple of drinks companies up here in the US, and one of them's a Gilly Lager. And he names all of those after himself. So the he owns us in Austin. Um, and we're the Gil Gilgronies, and we're named after his version of a Negroni. And uh, and he owns the team in LA, who are the Giltinis, who are named after his version of a Martini. So we've sort of um, we've pivoted a little bit within our marketing towards AG Rugby being our sort of our main our main tag. Uh, the Giltinis, they've got a, Mart- a Martini glass or a Giltini glass as their <laughs> as their logo. So they've really embraced it um, up up in LA. So it's definitely. Uh, it caused a bit of a stir, for, if you want to use a pun, but it, it did cause a stir um, and shake things up uh, when it was first announced and and people sort of weren't sure how they felt about it or they were very sure that they didn't like it. But um, it is what it is. You say we've, we've, got an, we've got an owner who's willing to to, um, to support what we're doing as a club and, 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 and pay the bills and fund the things that we want to do and he just really wants to grow the game. He's, a, he's an Aussie that wants to see the game explode in America, not just professionally, but in the youth, in the youth area and, and community space as well. So he's really pushing the league, um, on trying to shift some things forward in, in a number of different areas. And he, he can do it in a pretty, pretty pushy way because that's what's made him successful in business. But, um, you know, it takes somebody to, to shake things up and rattle the cage and, and really push for progression to get things to go to another level. Nice. One thing I want to touch on that. When people go to the States, either from the UK or from Oz or like yourself from New Zealand, I'm always interested about the cultural aspects because it's, it's, it's a big thing. Like it's a, it's a big dream for a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, performance coaches, like I say, from Europe or from, uh, from Oz to make the transition. And whether people think about it or not, that's a big cultural shift, especially to move somewhere, I would imagine, not that I've been, but to somewhere like Texas. Give us a little bit of insight into the the cultural differences that you're dealing with as a established for what you did dealing with from an established nation in rugby like the most established nation in rugby to the u.s where it's not established at all it's really it is really different that's one of the things i've really enjoyed too one of the challenges we sort of chose those of us that have come here to help kind of grow the game and, and build the game and some things took a while, take a while to get used to. Like our, our marketing team understand America and we understand rugby and they, we, we have to Americanize the product a little bit to get the American sports fan to watch, which means that you get your broadcast deal and become more professional and there's more within the game. So, um, even things like having the players individual names on the back of the jerseys seems foreign to some of us who are like, no, it's about the team, not the individual, but people want to know who the players are because they don't know them. And so, uh, running running the players out and announcing them individually was really foreign to us because we're like, no, you enter as a team because it's about the team. It's not about being an individual. But the US sports landscape is very much about individual success and individual branding and, and kind of knowing who the who the names and faces are within the group. So there are some of the things that have been, say, different for, for us as rugby people to kind of get used to. But um, it's a lot of it seems to have hit the mark. You know, we and we did a, a little bit of a, behind the scenes documentary through our season in 2021 sort of a six-part series that's um, broadcasted on on Fox Sports over here and it's free online on the rugby network of just six 20-minute episodes that followed us from the start through to the finish of our season and, and the camera was behind the scenes on on everything and so uh, that's a lot harder to do at home when people are a lot more fixed in how they go about things and, and they whereas here everybody's just open to everything because it's new and everyone's come to to help or to make a difference or to do things a little bit differently so Sam as a head coach is very much a, a, a yes to everything um, mindset because he just wants to, to get as much exposure for the sport and for the players and for the game as possible whereas in a very established group, you're a lot more closed around, you know, who can come in the door and who can see what's happening, and because uh, you're not trying to engage as many people with with what's going on behind the scenes and, and show them behind the curtain. So, um, so that's been it's been really good. It's been really open. It's been a lot less probably traditional. Um, even you try to you try to mix up your marketing strategies in a country like New Zealand to attract new fans and all the purists 
hate what you're doing and, and you know the, the people that just want to come along and sit quietly and you have to earn the, the, the fact that they clap when you score a try they've, they've come to tell you you know how bad how bad you are unless you earn their respect kind of or they sit there quietly and tell people to sit down instead of making noise and so the the american sports fans the opposite um and so they um they definitely go all in when they like something and the fan base here, they um, they haven't grown up with the game. They've found it at some point and fallen in love with it. So that there's a lot more of it's like an amateur club type um, connection to the to the game within the fan base than the expectation that you probably get within a, a professional and established environment. So you can do a lot of different things around your match day experience, and you know there aren't the purists around to grumble about it. So that's actually pretty pretty cool to. To be able to do things differently and have that flexibility, so um, it's certainly not at the the showtime level that um, that the NBA or the NFL or some of those sports are at, and it and it won't be. It's not going to be. It's not going to compete with the big three, but it can certainly um, establish a place in the in the sporting landscape here pretty quickly because the football fans like seeing people hit people, and you know we're used to. Um, they're not used to seeing people hit people without pads on. So when they come along, they love it. Um, and they love the fact that the game doesn't stop every every ten seconds, and everyone's on the sideline. And so it's it's catching on really quickly. Like um, Sam sort of says, there's three hundred million rugby fans that just don't know it yet over here. So um, culturally, it's you, you've got guys in your team, you've got players that um, within the MLR they either haven't haven't made it in the major professional competitions or. They've made it in those competitions, but they they may not make it anymore, and they're finishing out their career and wanting to contribute, or or they haven't made it yet, and they're taking an opportunity to grow themselves before they then crack it in those other competitions. So there's a there's a real a real mix, but everybody's kind of there for for a reason, um, and everybody's really probably well connected with why they're playing the game, um, and they're they're you know they're professional, but they're not. Um, they're certainly not at a level where, where they've lost lost the love for the game or they've forgotten what it's like just to be a five year old running around with your mates in a ball. So it's been um it's been it's been pretty cool. It's been very different though. It's definitely different, but um yeah, it's it's let's just we, we just hope that it keeps on growing. It keeps on growing and establishing itself within the American sporting culture and so we we don't uh, we don't get to come across and run a performance program out of a a five hundred million dollar college football facility. We're sort of running out of a, a little warehouse with some offices, but we've been able to do a great job of setting up a, a performance sort of um, gym. We were we were working out of, and we we've got a training field down the road that we go and use. And it reminds me a lot of my early days when I was at Tasman, and we were kind of piecing things together, and and then um, and it, it'll kind of grow from there. But we also know. We don't want to outgrow ourselves too quickly, and we probably don't need a five hundred million dollar uh, college football facility because we don't have that many athletes, and and um, and we certainly don't have that many boosters funding us to to get to that point too. And we probably wouldn't want to create that level of expectation either. So we want to be able to get the balance right, and we seem to have um, a good culture within rugby over here where. The players that we've got haven't come through those systems where they've been handed everything, so their level of expectation isn't extremely high, and so they just get on with the job and knuckle down and, and do the hard stuff, and, and they just want to get better. So what would your attendance be at AG Rugby? Uh, this weekend with the snow, probably nobody. Um, I think we've, I think we managed to. You sort of end up selling, you sell tickets in the kind of the two thousand to five thousand sort of mark, and okay. then um, I think with tickets being five dollars, if it's that cold, people probably don't see that as a huge loss if they choose not to go. But um, yeah, I mean, LA played a game at SoFi uh, last year, and and in the stadium there, which is where the Super Bowl is being played next weekend, and. I mean, I think it cost a fair bit to play the game there, but that was just a part of um, our owner wanting to put rugby on the map in the US. And you know, it was a huge stadium, and it certainly wasn't full, but it was the first, the first sort of sporting event that was allowed fans that was played in that stadium post COVID, which is a pretty cool way to to put the game on the map and in, into people's minds. And so, so there, there's some really cool stadiums, some really um, some small ones and some big ones. LA play at the Coliseum, which is where USC football um, play out of, and so that's there's a lot of there's a lot of empty red seats when they play there. But the coaches sit up in the high box and can see the Hollywood sign in the background, and they light the, the Olympic flame um, before the game. And 
So they say there's there's a lot of um, small stadiums and big stadiums, but it's a general attendance is sort of somewhere in that 2,000 to 5,000 sort of mark, which is probably why teams will build a you know a eight to 12,000 seater stadium and follow some of the the smaller stadium type model like over in the in the Premiership rather than trying to play in international size stadiums like Super Rugby does and and then struggles to fill it. So. Um, but it's good, it's growing, and every time somebody comes that's new, they enjoy it, and they bring somebody back the next time, and they bring somebody back the next time, and hopefully it grows exponentially, like, would rather that spread than COVID. <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not wrong. So let's dive into the beginning of the conversation, because it's coming from a little bit of co- little bit of controversy on social media that I, uh, that I, was, I was witnessing. And if I'd have been the if I'd have been the the marketing guru, I'd have jumped on this straight away. He'd have been on three weeks ago, and we'd have struck while the iron's hot. However, it's calmed down a little bit, which is which is good for for all parties. And it was around your preseason camp. A few videos circulated, a little bit of shit thrown for various different reasons, and we'll dive into that in a minute. But not to give it not to give the controversy too much airtime, but just to dive into. Developing a camp, structuring a camp itself, and what makes how you make decisions of what you do, what you don't do, how that's perceived, how that's not perceived, and things are right and things are wrong. So, going back to the start, with regards to preseason camp, what are your what's your first protocol when structuring what will hopefully be a successful preseason camp? Yeah, we've been able to. Um, it's certainly got a bit of traction, a great, a great bit of um, a great bit of airtime across social media. But like, um, like anything, it goes out the the twenty four hour washing cycle on on social media until somebody kind of loops it back up again. So, um, but yeah, I think when we we uh, we had an opportunity to to get a training camp this year, which was great. Through COVID and snowstorms last year, we we didn't get any time together as a group uh, going into the season. So it was a pretty a pretty quick turnaround and people were landing from overseas and we just had to start playing. And so we got a great opportunity this year to spend two weeks um, down in Chula Vista, just outside San Diego. And uh, and then the key objectives sort of out of that camp were around around gluing our gluing our team together as people and, and building building connections and, and getting further advanced on our on our rugby just by by being able to get out on the field every day, a couple of times a day, and train and prepare and and find our rhythm as a group and and really establish what our our identity is as a team moving forward and and drawing that out of the people that we've got rather than trying to pluck something out of thin air and try and find the best words and write them on the wall and then try and figure out what that looks like. Um, which you know, say good teams and and shit teams have the same words on the wall, but some people live them and some people don't, and some pluck them from elsewhere and and some draw them from from within. So we really wanted to um, to establish the actions that were important to us, and then let some values sort of materialise out of what those actions are that, that are important. So, um, so that were probably the, the three kind of key objectives of our, of our camp, and most of it was just around being able to to spend time together and, and establish ourselves and where we want to get to and where we're at now and um, and a little bit of reflection on, on where we were last year and what some of the missing parts were and why we why we missed the playoffs and why we didn't execute in key moments and um, and why we didn't take some of the opportunities that were in front of us and some of the, the little things that came up on a consistent basis through the season that led to us um, you know not, not executing in key moments in some games and things like that which are there's some off-field things and, and some on-field things that all that all added up at times that meant that we we just didn't nail big moments when they came and, and didn't take those opportunities and other teams did and and then instead of uh, instead of making the finals we missed out narrowly and gave ourselves too much of a too much of a chase to try and get there. So um, so we had a, a lot of different strategies around how we wanted to to get that and Chula Vista gave us a, an awesome venue at the the Olympic Training Centre where. Uh, where the US sevens are based, so we had everybody was in the same accommodation, which was important to us because we could just get organic collisions and connections and people eating together and talking together and having more conversations than meetings um, and 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 away from away from other commitments and and other distractions and just being able to to connect as a group uh, and to be able to do that for just enough time before it got too much time away from family and um, is where I think uh, some of our 
our general managers suggested going for three weeks, but the experience of touring overseas for three weeks um, and knowing that people get a bit scratchy by the time week three comes around and two weeks is it's good, but it's kind of enough if you've got the choice um, that we we settled on kind of two weeks two weeks away with the ability to do that and finish it with finish it with a game and have everything build up towards getting some match minutes against San Diego at, at the end of that camp. Um, the food was easily done because it's run out of a, a dining room and a cafeteria that delivers food for athletes just like clockwork around, around the clock and you just go and scan your card and line up so that reduced the logistics for our our, uh, our dietitian so she had she spent less time organizing menus and and putting food out for people and and she spent more time having conversations with individual players about what they can work on and how they can make better choices in the in the dining room and how they can transfer that to their plates and their cooking back home so um yeah there's there's a, a world-class sort of gym facility right there the field's right behind us and it took away a lot of the logistics that we would cope with on a weekly basis at our normal training center that just allowed the experts that we have to kind of spend more time with the people um, and working on some of those systems with them from a coaching perspective or a performance perspective and and medical and recovery. So so we don't have everything that we need uh, where we train here, so we were able to capture that for two weeks and maximise our time. Um, and then the, the other piece was is being um, really fortunate to be just around the corner from from the Navy SEALs base and, and the beach that they all kind of start their their training and, and selection on, which is you know the, the piece that got all, all the airtime. So it, it's funny you do it. You can do a fifteen day camp and and ninety nine percent of it can be can be getting your rugby right and and one percent of it can be um, getting some work done with those guys and that's the piece that goes viral. But um, but uh, it was look, it was it was really good. I mean, we we were really um, considered in how we went about it. It's not something that I've always looked at fondly from a, from a performance and S and C perspective. Like I've seen the, the military style training and doing the military camps and things to try and pull people together, just destroy teams and athletes. And athletes can lose the value of their entire preseason if you if you starve them and starve them and and, and deprive them of sleep and. Um, and then guys that have, that have spent all preseason putting weight on lose all that weight. And I know there was a team we played um, a couple of years ago in preseason in Super Rugby that went away on sort of a, a, a two or three night kind of military camp after they'd just lost lost by forty points twice in preseason. And, and you know my my thought was like, why aren't you just going away working on your defence? Why are you going and start and, and starving and keeping people up all night and doing this sort of stuff? So. Um, so there were there were some things that we really, from from my perspective and our coach's perspective, that we wanted to to make sure we really steered clear of um, within that. But the other side is everybody's also come to the US to find authentic kind of American experiences, and and there was this great opportunity to, to kind of create one and actually have um, three three or four kind of retired retired Navy SEALs that have been through a lot of active duty and they've seen and done a lot of things and they shared some pretty incredible stories through the day and, um, and so we structured that day and the, the key parameters for me were um, you know we're coming in with a few players coming off the back of surgery and some guys that are carrying injuries so we need to to manage those individuals wisely and adapt things so that they can take part in the group experience but not have to do everything because that would just be stupid we didn't take them there to break them and and even the the physical side is uh, make sure we've got experts kind of running it who know how to understand where the threshold is and, and not push people past that breaking point and then we can't train properly for the next 14 days in a rugby camp so uh, making sure that the um, the players were able to sleep well so we we landed uh, on the on the Sunday evening and the guys had to get up at um, at 3am the next morning to get ready to go and be on the bus which pulled out at 4am um, so that we pulled out in the darkness and it was a bit of an unknown uh, but we'd just come from Texas so that was 5am wake up and 6am on the bus so really in terms of body clock not too bad um, but just the overall perception of it is that it's actually quite tough and that's what we wanted to to have the players sort of work their way through uh, and then the evening before make sure that they fueled really well and, and kind of knew they had that early start um, and and could get a good sleep the night before, knowing that they had to get up and and be prepared and be organised, rather than let them go to bed late and then go and kick the doors down and drag them out of bed in the morning as a surprise. So that, that are some of the conversations and discussions that were important for us to have with the with the seals that were running it, and and they they were really good, really professional, 
they have gone through a lot of different things themselves. They've done it with other teams before and you know, they were really guided by us on some real key parameters, like make sure we don't deprive of sleep, make sure we stop and hydrate and fuel the athletes at the right times and we don't just starve them all day. And um, if, if at any point we needed to give some feedback around adjusting a player, adjusting a, what a player was doing, we could ourselves or our medical team could kind of step in and, and, and do that and they, you know, they wouldn't shout us down and, and tell them to go harder if we'd kind of wanted to make those adjustments. So... So it was really it was really important to have it well planned strategically, um, and we found we found a lot of great things out of it that we you know we had seen on field um, last year in terms of a lack of attention to detail at times and poor communication within the group and not getting things right the first time because people don't don't pass the message on properly and you know there's there's a lot of different ways that we we could do that but this was a really good way of creating a, an authentic experience and doing it within that and. Um, we were in and out of the classroom throughout the day, and I think that's sort of some of the pieces that I think the fear in social media from an SNC coach perspective is, you know, a rugby coach is going to watch that one minute segment uh, on social media and then come and say, right, we need to we need to take our team out for fourteen hours and have them throwing logs around, throwing logs around and dunk, dunk them underwater and doing sit ups in the ocean and freezing cold and and not actually seeing the level of planning that goes in behind the curtain to kind of make it work and the fact that it was a, a full day that had classroom sessions around leadership and performance under pressure and communication and um, and room checks around tidiness and guys being able to kind of learn to be more accountable to the things that they say they're going to do and, and having other people take that, which is a, a pivot from the coach's voice or my voice and the voices they're going to be hearing for the next six months over the season. Um and doing it in a non-rugby way, which for me is, I, I place a lot of value on. I think if, if guys are guys are in a rugby environment for eleven months, and if we do just rugby stuff in a rugby context for eleven months, like it becomes very monotonous within a um, within a, a rugby player's sort of life. And we can tick the same boxes in different ways, and and it may it may do it better, it may it may do it just the same. Um, but just having that little bit of variation, like any other form of cross-training whether it's physical or mental if we wanted to avoid cross-training completely then we'd never put players in the gym and have them lifting because olympic lifting and power lifting and, and doing sprint work is cross-training because they haven't got a ball in their hands and they're not trying to beat a defender so but we do as much of it as we need to and we try to get as much transfer as possible and so it was the the general thinking and behind it and uh, and the feedback that was critical for me was the um, the players, the players throughout the day, the players after the day, um, and just some of the metrics that we were seeing on the field through the week um, was really, it was really heartening for us to see that players are still, still hitting, hitting some PBs um, in the in the middle of the week. You know, two or three days after that kind of twelve hour experience, um, where they weren't going hard physically for twelve hours, of course, but it was a it was a long day mentally with little breaks throughout and. They're still, you know, they're still hitting some, some new PBs in terms of max velocities and power in the gym and things like that on the day that we had hoped. Um, and that doesn't come from chucking logs around, of course. That came from three weeks of preparation before that, and then having an unloading and, and recovery and adaptation week before the camp. And then we we wanted to be able to see those those advancements in physical qualities during the first part of the camp. And, and make sure that we strategically planned that day with the, with the SEALs to, to not fuck that up. Um, but to be able to take what we needed from that experience, but not, um, not bugger up some of those results that we'd been working towards. And so I'm, I'm really happy and confident that we got the balance right in that. Um, but I, as I say, I understand, uh, from my own perspective as well as others, the, the, the fear of a coach picking that up and, and ruining a team by trying to do it without, without putting the amount of thought and planning into, into the why and, and, and the how and other things behind it. So it's great to have an opportunity to, to give some of the context, uh, the context around that because, um, if it just becomes a, a quick social media sensation, then people very quickly draw their own conclusions and people draw, draw the wrong conclusions and, 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 and coaches can can run with sort of circus tricks off, off uh, off social media pretty quickly these days. So, so it's good to take a very quick break in the chat with Simon. Hope you're enjoying part one. So part two carries on a similar theme, dives into the camp, 
how risk versus reward was managed and obviously mitigating as many of those risks as possible and some recommendations for people who may want to go down that path but are reluctant to because of those risks. So interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade, With the addition of the new Icon X rack range, Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. And now back to the interview with Simon. Were you were you conscious of the perception from a, a performance industry perspective? Were you conscious of the perception of how that you may be viewed in this in this circumstance yeah i think it's something we were we were conscious of going through because we turn everything that we do outwards um and then you sort of see like i've been for years and years i've been um you know saying that that you know that those sort of things are done so poorly and and they, they have very limited limited value and more risk than reward and so it was a great challenge to find a way to to execute that and and make the rewards outweigh the risks just by mitigating all of the risks in, in the best way possible so um, so that, that's why um, I think when you know we, we always get frustrated as as a performance coach because we know that results comes from just relentlessly nailing the basics again and again and again and not getting bored with it um, but the only stuff that that gets the exposure is the random stuff quite often so um, and and people very quickly forget that it's you know it's a small piece of a very big puzzle um, and and it gets hinged on that. So that, that's probably the, the awareness that we have. And as I said, it's great to have, um, you know, people reach out and ask questions around, around how we go about it and make sure that it, that it isn't a complete disaster and, and done, done the wrong way because there is, um, you know, there is a right way to do most things. Uh, and it's just around where it fits within your context and what you're trying to achieve out of it and how you go about it and mitigate any risks and maximize any rewards. So, uh, which I'm, I'm confident that we were able to do and, and we've seen, we've seen the results from it sort of throughout the group in, in terms of improvement in those areas that we'd seen on field and then showed up in another context. Um, and, and the players really highlighting that, um, it's not an isolated thing. Like it's popping up these things, there's communication and accountability and some of these things are popping up everywhere because they're a, a theme and a trend that we need to get better at as a group. So, um, so as I said, the, the valuable feedback for me is the, the way that we train through the week and, and some of the results we've been able to put out on the pitch sort of since that point um, that don't necessarily just come from that activity, but at least, um, you know, they give us the confidence that we got the balance right with that activity and, and, it, and it wasn't detrimental to what we were doing and it added some value. So, um, yeah, as I say, it's always good to be able to, to put the context to it when something becomes, it gets exposure. Um, because you know, any any specific exercise that anybody does, sometimes without context, if a team's doing a a form of um, post match conditioning, or you know there, there was one of the football teams that was doing bicep curls out on the sideline as a part of their their kind of pre game warm up and prep, but you, you don't fully understand the, the context that that's operating in, and then you, you can form everybody can form their own opinion about it, um, and it's if, if if you don't like it, don't do it in your program. So. Um, if you happen to be operating with a team, um, so it's uh, it's yeah. You say you're always aware of how things are how things are perceived, um, and there's definitely a sort of a, a heightened awareness around that with a lot of both positive and negative feedback, and a lot of people sort of reaching out privately and either asking questions or, or giving support or, um, or or challenging things, which is great. And so if if we're not 
if we're not challenging each other on on what we're doing, then um, you know some some pretty silly things can get out of hand very quickly, and and you say people get hurt and don't perform when that happens. So, I'll be honest with you, Simon. I believe that people use the fact that they're oh we're scared that that other coaches are going to get this and um and do it themselves and, and hurt and get hurt. I think they use that as a vehicle to be able to throw their own opinion at you and say this shouldn't be done because I believe in this, this. Oh, no, but it's it's about the safety of other people. I don't think that's – I think that's a facade and they're just, they just want to push their opinion onto you because they don't think it's right. <laughs> I think That's my personal oh, I, opinion. Yeah, and I, I think it can be. I think um, it often comes back to – like my my gut feel would say, just build better relationships with your coaches that you work with, so that when you if you've got certain parameters that you want to work within, you know that your head coach isn't going to go off and do some madness that you haven't been told about or you don't get some input into. If you build strong working relationships with your coaches, then you can create parameters that you know these activities be done within, and you build it together. And um, and so if you if you if you burn bridges with coaches rather than building relationships, and that can kind of kind of go sour that way. But also understanding, I think sometimes, and um, you know, there probably are some coaches out there who just don't listen to their staff, and so the the, the fear the fear is that um, you know there's probably a head coach out there somewhere that will just tell tell the water boy to shut up and run the warm ups and and fix fix all the players that get injured from some of the things that they want them to do. So. At, at some levels, there probably is a um, you know it's probably a, probably a valid fear, but I think in in a, in a lot of contexts, the the more we can build relationships with our with our coaches, and, and instead of making those really fractured or having a lot of friction, then then the more input that we can have. But that's probably just coming from my own experience. With you know, I, I haven't operated in a, in a in a working environment where I've where I've had friction with the coach that that I've that I've worked with and. It's either been um, a coach that I know well and has brought me in for a reason, so they already trust me, um, or uh, or I've taken time to kind of build build a relationship and build that trust before before sort of stepping on any toes, or or you just happen to get a coach who's open to open to feedback and open to other ideas, and they know that the people around them uh, are experts in their field, and and that's what they're there for, and and they're they're willing to listen and and learn and collaborate, so. And sadly, we're in a world where people will see a 30-second clip and take some sort of offence and run with it and start shouting and bawling and crying about what someone else is doing, even though it affects, doesn't affect their life. But that is that is the world of social media that we live in, eh? Yeah, it is. I think it's just, that's, that's society and that's the world, as, as we talked about before. I think whether it's whether it's politics or religion or COVID or vaccination or whatever it might be, it, it doesn't pay to sit in the middle. If you're trying to if you're trying to build a business or create engagement or if you're trying to um, you know win an election or whatever it might be, if if you you don't uh, you don't get followers through through applying. <laughs> Talking about context and sitting in the middle of the grey on the spectrum, you have to pick a side, and and you, to, to, it pays it pays to be polarising in the business world. Not so much uh, when you when you're trying to operate in a team context and collaborate. You need to be able to understand context and work in the grey a little bit, and and have some have some shift there. But um, but in in other spaces, other spaces, and especially on social media, it's about picking a team and and being loyal to your team and and being harshly aggressive towards the other team because um, your team has to win and be right so um, and so that's that's it's, it's not a um, it's not a, an individual jab at, at anyone in, in particular that's just the way that social media works it's the way that the marketing strategies work and that's what drives clicks and drives traffic and um, and, and builds businesses so um, it's just so as you say that's that's the way that that the world works some something gets put out there and then people Pick a, a side, either red or blue, or whatever it might be, and then, and then they just have to subscribe to that side and and prove their their loyalty to that side by um by to the death. yeah by <laughs> fighting to the death against against the against the other side rather yeah. than um, trying to see some trying to see the the context and so there's always the someone will always chip in with talking about context and then someone will talk about context not being relevant in all scenarios and it and it goes backwards and forwards but say that's that's what that's what drives uh, engagement and and pushes algorithms to the top of things and and gets something 
to stay a little bit longer than the, just the 24-hour cycle or I don't even know what, what the, the Twitter cycle is about an hour or two before things disappear off the feed. So you've got to be a bit more active there with just going to town on something and bringing it up and bringing it up to keep it at the top of the feed, whereas other other media is a bit more of a, a 12 or a 24-hour cycle. And I don't know enough about that stuff. I, I haven't put enough time into, into building an individual online business yet. Um, so... It's um, but there's there's certainly some good information around how that works, and that's how that's how tech companies have to work, and it's how a lot of different businesses have to work if you're working remotely or online. So, last little question on on camp, well, on pre-season, I guess. What is the marker for success? Obviously, be pre your first game because that will be a that'll be seen as a marker of the success of the season after them first couple of games. But up until that first game, what are your markers of success of that preseason? Yeah, there's going to be some some interesting ones actually. Like with the the snow freeze today, I think our our players' ability to just accept and, and adapt um, to the situation that's been changing this week has shown some success in some of the work that our you know bringing bringing our mental skills coach in and, and working through some of, some of those processes, the way that we're able to visibly see how much better our players are at coping with that stuff this year shows success in some of that investment. Um, playing in the freezing cold and in the snow on Saturday for, for 80 minutes is nothing compared to being freezing cold for 14 hours. So, so uh, well, it'll be interesting to see if we, if we, we see some, some success out of that. But I mean, on, on field results is always going to be, it has to kind of be a key marker in, in professional sport. Um, especially if you, you know, you, you've got an owner who wants you to win and, and they'll keep putting money in if you're, if you're winning and, and they won't if you don't. So, which, which happens in different, different professional environments and, uh, and so I think we've seen, we will see some success, uh, from, from our group in terms of our, our cohesion on field and our ability to understand the game and just play what's in front of us because we've been able to have a season of install, a pre-season of installing you know, some of our systems and structures so that that's in the back of the mind, so the front of the mind our players can just play the picture in front of them and know that they've got a strategy to go back to. Whereas last year we were still installing the foundations of our game through the first part of the season, so players were having to think too much about where to be in the system rather than looking at what's in front of them and seeing an opportunity and taking it. So um, so by being able to assess how that, that happens sort of on field, we'll... Um, will show sort of some success of the structure of our preseason and just how how rugby focused it really was, um, and just the I mean you see you see when you create genuine connections and you spend more time um, together that you you know you see on you see on defense how much players care about each other and care about the team when they're defending their line and that's just that's just rugby the the more a group cares about each other and the closer they feel and the more they've been through together um, the better they defend their line as a group. Uh, and so I've seen that in, in a number of different teams in a number of different environments and you know you see teams that aren't slated to win go through some adversity on the way to the game and pull together tighter you know a bus breaks down and they have to wait around and you turn up just before kickoff and you know you'd think that they're going to get pumped because they haven't had the ideal preparation and that just galvanizes a group and they end up winning against the odds kind of thing so um, so some of the experiences that we've been able to go, you know, go through as a group, and some of the adversity kind of last year, both on field and off field, um, to see some growth in the group and how they how they cope with some big situations and games when it really counts will be a really good measure. Um, and I, th- I think we've been able to see there's a couple of they're probably a bit um, always a bit theoretical, or I'm, I'm not, uh, or a, a little bit in the in the grey and and hocus pocus, but. Um, <laughs> I think just the way that our players have, have approached is a couple of examples at the end of the game. In San Diego, we were supposed to be able to play um, three periods of 30 minutes, um, but San Diego still waiting for some players to come from overseas. So we, we had to sh- sort of cut that down to two periods of 30 minutes, and we had a first half, you know, first 30 minute team and a second 30 minute team. Uh, and then And then we played ourselves for the last 30 minutes and went down and just we weren't good in that game at getting across um, getting across the line or defending our line five meters out and that was a real work on for us last year so we just went and spent extra minutes doing just continuous goal line attack and defense with some with some interspersed kind of running running efforts and extra conditioning to try and get the 
the physical load that we we wanted to get out of the game but weren't able to and and our players just sort of pulled their socks up and got on with it and then uh, and then the same happened against New York at the weekend um, they were hoping to bring a, a large number of players and we were going to get three times 40 minutes and we could have had three different 15s kind of play or we could have got 60 or 80 minutes into some guys to get ready for this round and then they had a COVID outbreak in the group and couldn't bring as many people as planned and so we played two lots of 40 minutes so some guys missed out um, but the guys that needed extra minutes um, after full time quickly shook hands and went down and we played we played conditioning games for another 15 minutes and there's a, there's a lot of teams <laughs> that I've worked with that if I told them we were going to play con games for 15 minutes after they'd just played a game and won 62 points to seven they'd, you know they'd, they'd wonder why but um but the group's just used to getting on with getting on with the job and, and, and working with that. So I think they they really trust the process and they care about what we're doing and we, we see that with their response to some of those things. And it looks mad from the outside in, in a way, and but it's there kind of there for a reason because it's replacing something in the plan that that unfortunately you know disappeared on us through through no fault of the opposition. But um, we wanted to make sure that we achieved our targets and so we just found another way to do it and they just accepted and, and adapted and, and got on with the job. So um, so how we go how we go this, this weekend will be a great determining factor of that because this team's I think in um, in the, the four seasons that have happened have never won the first round. Uh, and you know, before before last season they had they had a winless season in twenty eighteen and I think they'd won you know, four games in four years or something. So, which they managed to turn the corner last year and have a winning season and just narrowly miss out on finals. But, um, but the work that's been put in, you know, everybody else is is better prepared. We're better prepared this year, but so is everyone else. So, um, it'll just be able to to see this group um, execute in some key moments. And one, a couple of things they did last year was they just freak out in key moments. You know, five meters from the line. Um, an opportunity to to win the match and rather than be excited they were worried about stuffing it up and didn't execute the play and didn't score and all of a sudden under the posts at the other end so little things like that being able to just be calm and clear in key moments and um, a be fit enough to execute un- under fatigue and and just be clear of mind at, at key parts of the game when there's a lot of different moving parts and adapt to the pictures that are in front of us so very long-winded sort of random loopy answer to the question um no, i'd good. love yeah i'd love to be able to say we'd, it would just be based on, uh, on on metrics and running running pb broncos and things but as as we all know those things are, are great and we've been able to do some of that as well but this group could be benching squatting and, and pbing speed and, and and broncos and fitness testing times and be shit at rugby so <laughs> um so hopefully we've got the the balance right through our preparation and we we get the transfer of the cross training that we've done um but we just execute in some key rugby moments and have a team that really cares about each other and and um and and wins a championship at the end of the year and when we can tag people that said we were doing dumb things on day one yeah, it's interesting because obviously from a physical preparation point of view, you've got your numbers, you've got your tests, you've got your P, like you say, your PBs. For all them things that you've just described, a non you can't you can't measure ninety nine percent of those things. Does that is that your experience that has made you comfortable in this area of in this area that you, the area that you just described? Because I'm guessing so, probably two of two five years out from in your first role you would have been very much, I want to hit this number, I want to hit that number. But now, is it because of the experience that you're able to be comfortable describing it like that in a non-measurable way? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, Ash Jones is a great a great mentor, and it was very early that he sort of pointed me towards the, the quote, you know, everything that, that counts can't be measured and everything that can be measured doesn't necessarily count. So um, it's... And, and you, and you, you do, you do learn and see that and you understand the value of, you understand the value of chasing targets at times and, and getting progression and wanting to see transfer. But also, you know, I was really fortunate with, um, some of the teams that I've been at to see some of the best players in, in the world. Um, and some of the best players in the world don't hit the best metrics in the world. And some of the best athletes in the world aren't very good rugby players. So, um, and there's a couple of freaks that are both, um, but, you know, you, you kind of you start to you start to see some of the sort of the intangible or or not so not so measurable things become really important. And you know, people mention that 
culture trumps strategy, whatever your views are on culture and, and your definition of that word. But, um, you know, the, it's some of the stuff that you get used to, you get used to seeing when you're exposed to, to team environments over time and you, you get to see what world class looks like on a daily basis and sort of understanding it. And, and the fact that you could absolutely nail everything perfectly and not get a result um, as, as well and just being able to kind of embrace that and know that it's one thing I've always been aware of is, you know, I get to either either have conversations or be on podcasts or talk at conferences because the you know the, the team that I was with was really successful. But you know, who knows whether I was doing a good job or not? Maybe <laughs> we just had a lot of really good players, and yeah. you know, the the Blues weren't winning a whole lot at the, at at the time, but they could have been running a far better program than we were. It just happened to be that the results weren't showing on on the rugby field for for different reasons and. So, and you you know you can see their growth and progression of what they've done over time, and just how strong, how strong that team is from some measurable stuff, but also some intangible stuff too. So, um, you so you do you do probably get more more comfortable with it over time, and I've been able to live through, um, you know, teams that have teams that have done poorly, no matter how hard you try, and 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 teams that have done really well when you're still trying just as hard but yeah a little bit of imposter syndrome kicks in and you wonder whether it's you know is am I actually contributing to this or would they just win anyway because they're just so good and it's potentially a little bit of both so it was, which was one of the reasons to come up here and and do something new is to get out of that that comfort zone and challenge yourself and see something rewarding and and start at the bottom of the climb rather than just try and find a better way to to plant the flag at the top of the mountain so um, so that was that's that's been um, a great experience, but yeah, I think I think a lot of that has come from so just just ob- observation and observation and experience in and around team environments and seeing how different teams and different players go about it and what really what really leads to success based on what's measurable and and what's not. Fascinating. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go, but I'm gonna uh, say I really appreciate you giving up your time. Great, great chat. Got some controversy in there as well. Mentioned a few mentions of social media, which is uh, not uncommon. And we'll see. Yeah, good luck on good luck at the weekend. First yeah, game of the thank season. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Really appreciate. It. It's good to good to connect and, and chat again. And Absolutely. as I said, I, I can't go too hard at social media because I might need to build a business on there at some <laughs> point. But I'm certainly pretty quiet on there these days. I don't I don't have a lot of time to to get on and, and share a whole lot. But um, but. Uh, yeah, like we said, there's there's just there's some things within within the industry and and within society that can be sort of pretty polarizing at at, at times. But um, but it's because everybody's passionate about what they're doing. So, you know, if if nobody was talking about things, it would mean that they don't care, and and none of us would have anything to do or talk about. So, very well put, very well put once again. But where, where can people? I know you're going to say you're not too active on social media. Not a whole lot. I'll, I guess now that we've, it's great, I've got some staff this year that are delivering some things, so I'm able to step back and kind of capture and, and share a few more things rather than being a one man band. And um, but like st underscore performance coach on on Instagram and stsnc just the whole word on on Twitter is is where I'll quite often pop up, or just through LinkedIn is probably where I'll share more kind of professional information and, and things that we're doing, and um, and even anything that we do kind of at the moment through AG Rugby or Gilgronies, the drink name team. Um, everything's turned facing outwards, so um, we're sort of certainly not not uh, not aiming to hide anything. Everything that we've done in our with growing our sports science department, we want to turn outwards and and how we integrate and collaborate across that. So through those channels, they do a, a much more polished version of sharing what we do than um, than I do with a quick iPhone up update upload and and a picture or a video and a, a quick caption. So yeah, cool. I'll make sure I look out for it. The um, the AG Rugby Channel sounds like it's yeah, like you say, out facing, showing what you guys do. Yeah, feel free to watch. Uh, go online and watch Inside the Scrum, the rugby network yes. that that uh, makes the MLR and at the moment the League One competition in Japan sort of broadcast free internationally. They've okay. um, got the series on there. So if you want to get to know the the personalities in behind our team, then uh, sign up for an account and watch for free. Absolutely. Right, mate, I'm going to let you shoot, but thank you very much, and we'll chat soon. Perfect. Appreciate it. Cheers, Simon. Thanks, mate. Thanks again. Bye-bye. 
thanks for tuning in to episode 386 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Simon for giving up his time in a busy period right up to the start of the MLR season. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Fusion Sport, and Play for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate all their support. And big thanks to you for tuning in again this week. Hope you got something from this episode, and I look forward to chatting to you next week.